You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hey there, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on episode 13 of Quarantine and Chill, the podcast within Disability After Dark, where I sit down with disabled thought leaders and disabled friends of mine and just disabled people generally and ask them, hey, how the fuck are you doing during this pandemic, disabled friend? Because I don't think we're doing enough to uplift the voices of disabled people, so that's what I'm using these episodes for. And I'm getting a bunch of emails from people saying how much they appreciate the episodes and how important they are for them, so I'm going to keep doing the quarantine and chill until we're out of the woods, and I don't think we'll be out of the woods for a long while, because no one is staying the fuck home. Um... But uh, let's uh, let's get into today's episode. It's a really important one. So let's do it right now. On the episode today, I sit down with Felicia Mackay, and we talk about their experiences with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and their experiences with POTS, and their experiences with gastroparesis, and how all of these disabilities play a role in how they are experiencing covid One of the most important things we talk about on the episode that I really enjoyed when I listened back to it was that we talk about the need for supplies and why a lot of, um, a lot of the time people with disabilities aren't able to get the, the medical supplies they need because everyone is hoarding them. So we talk about that. We talk about Felicia's experience with, you know, coming into their own as a disabled person. When we talk about also, Felicia talks about their want to be productive during the pandemic as a disabled person, but feeling also like they can't because of their disabilities and how they deal with that. There was a whole lot going on in this in this quarantine and chill episode, and I was super happy to have Felicia on the show. It was really, really fun to chat with them, and um, I hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, here's episode 13 of Quarantine and Chill with my new friend, Felicia Mackay, right here on Disability After Dark. Felicia Mackay, hello. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for coming on Quarantine and Chill, the podcast within the Disability After Dark podcast, where I talk to disabled people about their experiences with this wonderful, weird pandemic that we're in. How are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm very tired, and life is crazy, but I'm alive. <laughs> That's a good start. Let's start there. Um, 
where are you located? And tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm in Denver, Colorado, USA. If anybody would like to move me to another state, I am very interested. We are not handling things well here. Barbershops are open. Everybody's going crazy. People are protesting in the streets. I am not a fan. Oh, wow. I didn't know that was happening there. Oh, wow. Denver, get your shit together, Denver. Come on. (laughs) Castle Rock, a city kind of south to where I am by like an hour and a half. Um, They, on Mother's Day, opened up a restaurant. um, And it was like a diner and it was like packed and there was an armed guard outside of the door. And they've since been closed down and like sued by the state and everything. It's crazy. As they should have been. Like, what are you? Like, come on. No. Uh, it was so packed. There were so many people in there. Oh, that makes me feel uneasy in like so many different ways. Oh my God. I was so upset to see it. And there's still photos and everything of it going around. And oh, I am not thrilled with my state at the moment. No, no. Which and it hurts me because Denver... Denver's got some good people in Denver. I know some people in Denver. It's a, there's good people there. Why are other people? Th- no, Ugh. it's ridiculous. Anyway, hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on today. Um, can you introduce a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am a uh, disabled person. It's taken me a while to be able to say that. I have multiple chronic conditions. Um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, hypermobile type, is primarily my um, like worst condition. It causes everything else. Um, those of you who don't know, it's a connective tissue disorder affecting all of the connective tissues in my body. So I get a bunch of joint musculoskeletal symptoms from it, joint dislocations, subluxations, um, wound healing complications, um, skin tearing, skin stretchiness. Um, It also affects some of my other organs. I also have POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which causes blood to not regulate properly in my body. So I have a hard time like maintaining my temperature. So like hot flashes or really cold and chills and stuff. Um, My blood pressure is chronically low. Um, When I stand up, my blood goes down to my feet and my heart tries to compensate for that and push more blood back up towards my brain so I don't pass out. It's not always very good at doing that, and it causes really high heart rate, and I can pass out, and it's not a good time. So, that sounds uh, that sounds uh, like a, <laughs> a great, fun, joyous time for you. Um, oh, it's great. Yeah, it sounds like a really fun party trick. Hey, want to watch me paint? Cool. <laughs> yes, just passing out on the floor at work. It's great. I, I love doing that. And so how does all that, like, other than passing on the floor work, how does all this, how do all these disabilities impact your day-to-day? Um, quite a lot. Um, I actually, just back on March 16th, got a port so that I can do my own saline infusions at home. Um, so now I'm infusing saline on my own four days a week, typically Monday through Thursday, although that can fluctuate somewhat. Um, depending on what my symptoms are, I can choose to access on different days. Of course, not telling my, um, infusion center that that's what I'm doing because they would not be thrilled, but I make it work. Um, right, the infusion center doesn't let, like, you're only allowed to, to 
My infusion center is so dumb. So they have a very specific order that says I'm allowed to infuse a liter of saline four times a week, Monday through Thursday. Um, They send me one week supply at a time. And so I only have four bags in my possession at a time. And I've been recently having to kind of change when I'm infusing. Um, Last week I had to access on Saturday. I infused Saturday, Sunday. And then because I only get supplies once a week, I took two days off. So I de-accessed. So I took the needle out of my chest and then put it back in my chest on Wednesday and infused Wednesday, Thursday to get myself back on schedule. Otherwise, I'd have gone a week without saline, and that probably wouldn't have worked. And I can imagine with all the COVID restrictions right now, like that's probably why you're shifting the days around, because supply is probably not as as available as it was before, right? Yeah, they've been skimping on supplies for sure. I mean, I don't know what they looked like prior to COVID because I got my port on March 16th and I started infusing the following Monday. So my first supply order came during the start of all of the lockdowns and supply shortages. So I kind of wish I knew what they looked like before COVID, but it's hard to tell. And do you have, as somebody who has that kind of need, do you have a fear that if things progress like you're gonna lose <coughs> frog my throat there you're gonna <coughs> I'm not gonna cut that out because I'm a crabby editor but um are you afraid that you're gonna lose your ability to port if things get worse if things progress uh, yes, to an extent. I'm definitely worried about running out of you know, supplies that I would need. Um, you know, alcohol pads are in short supply. Saline flushes have been known to be in short supply. Um, you know, I need these medical devices that are being used in hospital settings, and hospitals are overcrowded right now, so it's definitely a concern. For sure. Um, and I know just in my day-to-day life as somebody who was prior to COVID using a urethral catheter four or five times a day. Like I know how tough it was to get a hold of gauze, to get a hold of of alcohol wipes, to get a hold of things like that because Mm. everybody was kind of hoarding it. So I can only, and I, I don't have the same level of need that you do. So I can only imagine like if something were to happen to, well, to you, but to me too, because I'm also severely disabled, but with the lack of supply, it's probably just, it's something that you're like, oh, I have to think about that now too. Fuck. Yeah, it's very concerning. Um, A few months ago, prior to getting a port, I had purchased some alcohol um, wipes on Amazon. And you know how Amazon doesn't really let you buy just like one box of something. You have to buy it in bulk. I was not thrilled about that at the moment because I had no idea that I would have this need in the future. I just had a whole bunch of alcohol wipes now for no reason. But now I'm definitely grateful for accidentally hoarding those. (laughs) even though Amazon can be a huge pain and I have many problems with their business model in that brief moment (laughs) thank you Amazon also exactly can you get me baby wipes please Amazon I need so many and so much more and there you have none in your store and it sucks balls Oh my God, totally. I am going through adult body wipes, like the shower wipes, um, like crazy now because showering is extremely difficult with a pour. I still have to shower 
every day. Um, for those who can't see me, I have very long and thick hair and I can't go a day without showering and taking care of that. So while I have to cover my port, there's still parts of my body that like I can't wash when I'm in the shower. So wipes have become my best friend. And we need them. I need them for like proper ass wiping. So Amazon, if you could could get on that for us, that'd be great. Thanks so much. Jeff Bezos, I know you have trillions of dollars, so figure it out. Um, (laughs) So... So, living as a disabled person, some of this kind of stuff that we're experiencing and has been kind of dubbed as the new normal, does it feel familiar to you as somebody living with disabilities and chronic illnesses? Does all this feel kind of like something you've been through before? Kind of, to to an extent. I mean, I already have a hard time like keeping plans with my friends if I was supposed to go out and hang out with somebody oftentimes I'd have to cancel if I was in a flare or not feeling well um so it's it's kind of normal for me to go a long time without seeing my friends but it's also an extremely difficult position um, and everything is very different from then. Cause like previously I would just have to like cancel and people weren't like wanting to hang out virtually. And so in a way it's much more accessible, but when I can't go out, I'm used to not being able to go out into a world that's already existing, but the world now has stopped and I'm home and nobody is doing anything and nothing is happening. I'm not missing out on life, but it's also very different and weird. Can you elaborate on that different and weird feeling for me more? Like, how do you mean? Yeah, so I, previous to this, was working part-time, um, eight to one at a orthopedic center as an appointment scheduler. Um, and of course, being a non-essential, I guess you could say, field, you know, there's traumatic orthopedic injuries, of course, we have to stay open, but a lot of the things that we see can wait. Um, and we're in the business of elective surgeries, which a lot of those were canceled for a long time. Um, so we were hit really hard. Um, as part-time, I was furloughed for about a month. Um, so I was no longer even leaving the house to go to work, which was a very different experience. I've been working in some capacity outside of the house for the last four years. So that was a very different experience to be completely stuck in the house, no income, not working, not participating in society in that way. And it also made me realize upon getting my port and having to figure out how to take care of that and how my conditions have progressed that I no longer can work in those hours. So when I went back to work, it was a huge shock to me. And now I'm in the process of filing for disability because I realized that I can't do this anymore. Wow. And so that's a whole lot of stuff to like deal with during COVID. That's a whole lot to like process. Oh yeah. How are you managing with like your, as a, as a newly minted disabled person, cause you said at the top that like you're kind of coming to terms with that language. As somebody who's kind of coming into the, the identity of being disabled during COVID, how does all that feel for you? 
Yeah, so I um, was diagnosed with EDS back in May. The rest of my diagnoses followed in a very quick fashion and my health progressed very quickly. Um, I really didn't start to identify as disabled until like November. And even then, you know, I hesitated reaching out to you to be on your podcast for a very long time because I didn't think I was disabled enough. Oh, I'm so glad you did. And let me, let me just preface <laughs> that for anybody listening who has thought the same thing as Felicia. If you think that you're not disabled enough, come on my show, email me and I'll tell you that you're not, you are just as disabled as you need to be to come on this show. So don't feel like you can't. It's it's such an ableist thought. I don't think that of literally anybody else. Just for me personally, identifying as disabled and realizing that I, I am in a significant, you know, lack of ability in my life and identifying as that has been both really tough and really liberating. Um, I've recently started to, like in the last five months or so, start to be really active on Instagram and the chronic illness community there. And I have not come out on my page yet about applying for disability. It's so weird that I am saying coming out because it is a form of coming out. Yeah, it's completely and totally a form of coming out. And I commend you for feeling safe enough to share with us, to share with me. Um, to share with yourself that reality because it's not easy. Coming out as disabled is never... We don't talk about it enough. It's not as prevalent to say coming out as queer or coming out as gay or coming out as a lesbian or coming out as like trans. It's not the same thing and it's not given the same weight, I think, mm-hmm. as those things. So... It's I, so different. Yeah, it's completely different. So I really commend you for feeling safe enough to do that so thank you for letting me share that yeah of course this is kind of how I wanted to start that conversation and and introduce it to my audience on Instagram because I know not everybody is going to listen to this episode but finding a safe way to say that I'll just email you a whole bunch of handles that you need to personally yeah, be DM like, this episode too. Yeah, people need to listen to me a little bit, but <laughs> I think it's really tough to do what you've done and to come to terms with being disabled and to like openly put that in a public forum for the for the five listeners that listen to my show. Uh, <laughs> they'll be they'll be they'll be excited for you, I think, and I think my hope is that you can find community through that coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's so strange because you're right. It's very different. It's not my first experience with coming out. I've already come out as queer. I've come out as non-binary. I've come out in so many different ways at this point, and coming out as disabled, and then having to come out as like so disabled that I can't work anymore. It's it's a different level, and it's very weird how all of these things are different. Now, as somebody who's just come out as disabled or is still working through the process of coming out as disabled, how do you feel about, and I had I had this question kind of pinned for later, but I'll ask it now, because why not? <laughs> it's my show. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about all of the things being shifted from, oh no, you're disabled, you can't work at home, how dare you even ask that, to the whole world opening up now to working from home? 
Yeah, um, I've been trying to convince my job to let me work from home for a while, but it wasn't really happening. They have a remote working thing kind of set up, but for people who have had to move out of state and want to still be able to work for the company, they don't really let people who live really close to the office like I do. I live 15 minutes away. They don't really let those people work from home. But of course, now everybody is working from home. And I've made it very clear that this is extremely accessible for me. And if I were to continue doing this job, which I've not really told anybody other than my HR director that I don't intend on continuing this job. But if I were to, I would need to be able to do it from a capacity of working from home. I don't think I could ever go back into the office. Yeah. And I just think that working from home for me I mean, I work for myself, so, like, that hasn't changed a lot, but I think, you know, we're seeing it more and more, and I just, I've said this a bunch of times on these episodes, like, it's just so valuable for us to work from home. The productivity will increase because we don't have to worry about transit, we don't have to worry about buses, we don't have to worry about port stuff, we don't have to worry about, like, care things, Mm -hmm. we can just, you can do all that from the comfort of your home and still work. Yes. Yeah. And like taking a month off taught me that I don't need my job. Like I do love what I do. I love being able to help patients who are in need and being able to reach out to other people who I know are going through an experience of chronic pain, just like I am. It being being a fellow patient that's that's providing for other patients is really important. I do love that aspect of my job. But it doesn't define me anymore. There's so many other things that I do and that I love to do and that I want to pour my time into. And I sort of secretly hope that just from talking to you, that one of the things you want to pour your time into is disability activism because it sounds like you have a lot of stuff to say there and I'm excited for that to, for you to like grow that out. I have always been really into activism. You know, before this, my page and my online audience, I also have a blog um, that only like five people read, but still, um, I talk about sex and sex education and sexual awareness. And that's activism's always been a huge, huge part of my life. And now that I'm identifying as disabled and able to live in that experience, I can reach a different community. And I've loved being able to explore that on Instagram. That's amazing. Instagram has really brought a lot of, myself included, a lot of disabled people together that wouldn't otherwise get the chance to talk to each other. So that's that's fantastic. Um, do you have, I think, I don't know if we touched on this just now. I'm not sure if I asked it. Do you, is there a sense of comfort in sort of already knowing how to navigate all this? Um, to an extent, I I don't think that anybody knew how to navigate this. Um, I, I think everybody's learning in a different way. Um, you know, I already had experience um, coping with how rapidly my my body deteriorated and my limitations changed, and having to cope with my new reality. And now simultaneously everybody is coping with this new reality of their limitations changing not being able to go out to restaurants not being able to see your friends not having to not being able to go outside having to wear a mask having to change all the ways that you're interacting with the outside world i've had to do that so it definitely helps already having that experience but at the same time i don't know what i'm doing 
I love how freely you were just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's it's such a scary thing for a lot of people to say, just to admit that we don't know what we're doing here, that this is a completely different experience and that everybody's experiencing something different while we are all united in the fact that we have to go through this collective trauma experience together. Yeah, I think it's important that you bring up trauma because it really... It really is. What we're experiencing is a global trauma in a way that we've never had it before. So, mm-hmm. I, like, that part is both comforting that we're all experiencing that together, but also, like, what I think we're realizing through all this, especially the disabled community, is that trauma and disability and, like, inaccessibility looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Exactly. And... This, this is just something that we are all experiencing together. And so many people are pitted against each other in that right now. Yes, there are communities that are, are working together and have combined forces. And it's a very unifying experience to go through this as a global population right now. But so many people are also pitted against each other in this. This has turned so political, and I hate that. Yeah, it really has. It's highlighting the the stark issues with capitalism. It's highlighting um, stark issues with race, highlighting issues with ableism, 100% with ableism, for sure, without question. And we need to, I think we need to recognize those things, start talking about them together in a way that doesn't shame either side, but says, like, okay, if we don't talk about this, if we don't talk about ableism more freely right now, more disabled people are going to die. If we don't talk about race more freely and openly right now, more people of color are going to die because of inadequate health care. Like we just have to start talking about this stuff. Even if we disagree, we have to still talk about it, I, I think. I completely agree with you. And that's, you know, what I've been trying to do on my platform. I've really been talking a lot about how this experience is impacting us in in the disabled community and the ways that ableism is coming out during this experience. And the reason I talk about it is because so many people are starting to have these ableist thoughts that maybe they didn't realize they actually had before. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that ableism is not a bad thing. Being an ableist is also not a bad thing. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you have shit to work on. And I think if we, in a lot of, and this is totally not about the pandemic. This is just like Andrew's new philosophy for life. But <laughs> So if you, if you start to, to give voice to what ableism is in a mm-hmm. way that doesn't shame somebody for, for, having an ableist thought and kind of using that as an, as not a responsibility, but an opportunity to teach somebody to, to help change their worldview. Why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And while, while I mentioned that I do love what I do, I um, did speak with a patient earlier this week who, um, I have to explain that we we are requiring that our patients wear a mask when they come into our clinic for any reason at all. And this person fought me on that. And as much as I love to educate people and I have 
basically never had an issue maintaining professionalism on a call. I did kind of want to reach through the phone and strangle this person (laughs) because they were just like on about the CDC doesn't know what you're doing, what they're doing. I can't believe you guys are falling for this. I can't believe you're requiring this. Masks don't do anything. All right, I get it. Mm. Yeah, okay. Masks don't do anything. They just create a warm, wet environment for bacteria to grow. And mm. I love that sound. That's my. That's <laughs> like, like such a controlled anger. It's like, it's like, um, let's shift a little bit. So, Felicia, what's the best and worst parts of social distancing for you as a disabled person right now? Um, I think the best part of social distancing is how much more accessible the world has become. That I'm able to work from home in this time, that I don't have to risk myself going out to spend time with my friends, that my friends are able to hang out virtually now, that that's a thing that everybody is doing so it's okay. Um, I, I just love how how accessible the world has become. And with doctor's appointments and all of that too, it's easier to get in to see some of my specialists now. Almost every pr- practice out there is in some capacity offering virtual visits, which has cut down on travel time. It's cut out on fatigue of travel and has made it easier for me to see some of the doctors that I need to see all of the time. So that yeah. part's been really great. That's awesome. And then the worst part of social distancing for you? First part, we're going to get real deep here. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Deep dive. (laughs) As some people who follow my journey know, we've recently had a death in the family. Um, My partner's dad just passed away. And I have not been able to be there for my partner in the way that I should have been able to be there for him during this time. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of grieving of the healthy body already that, you know, that I've had to do with how fast my health has deteriorated. You know, I used to have this life, this body that could do these things, and now I don't. And the worst part of social distancing has been the fact that I have not been able to be there for him. I couldn't go and see his family with him. I couldn't go to the viewing slash mini family funeral with him. He had to break our isolation and go and be with his family and is now in Phoenix, Arizona, isolating for two weeks away from me with his mom so that he can come back to me and not worry about getting me sick. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's so rough. Like, that's not something that anyone, like, I think that death right now is something that, I mean, it's going to happen regardless of COVID, but right now it just feels that much harder. And so I, I send my condolences and love to you and and your partner because I can only imagine how tough that must be right now. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's been the worst part of social distancing. Just having to acknowledge the fact that 
yes, COVID is the reason that this is happening. But if I had a healthier body, one that did not get sick so easily, one that was not immunocompromised, one that did not have a central line and require this level of care, that I could have been there for him. He wouldn't have had to leave for two weeks. That I could have been able to support him and his family during this time, that I would have been able to leave the house. Yes, COVID is the reason that I have to stay behind, but so is my body because he's healthy enough to leave. But the fear is that he would bring something back to me and I, I couldn't let that happen. So is there, there's a lot to unpack there, but is there a sense of anger around your disabilities right now? Is there a sense of like, it sounds like, and just from hearing you say that, it sounds like there's a little bit of like, you're pissed off a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm very pissed off at, at my body, at my limitations. I've done a fairly good job of learning to live within my limitations and being graceful with myself, but it's really hard to be graceful with myself during this. Without question. And as somebody who's lived in a disabled identity for some time now, I can tell you that it's okay to be upset with your body. It's all right. It doesn't mean that you don't love your your disabilities any less. It actually means you love them more because... You're giving them space to hate them, and that's okay. Um, so if you feel that way as you're going through your journey, as you as you become more and more attuned to your disability identity, don't feel bad for being mad at your disability. That is so true and such an important message, Andrew. I just wanted to... I'm full of important messages, and I just wanted <laughs> to, uh, to give that to you and let you know that it's okay. Um... Um, so as somebody with all of these things, with EDS and POTS and chronic fatigue and all these things you have, and the central line, what scares you the most about COVID-19 as a disabled person? And what do you think would happen to you as somebody with your host of disabilities if you were to contract the virus? Um, I think the primary fear is... A, a lack of supplies to continue my care at home and continue my care safely and keep myself out of the hospital. Um, another fear is being hospitalized during this time. I absolutely hate the idea of having to go into the hospital during this time. Hospital is already an extremely inaccessible place. I'm regularly mistreated in the hospital settings. I've had horrible emergency room experiences. Let's talk about having that. To <laughs> yeah, just like facing that, like without your support system because visitors aren't allowed. Like that's my worst nightmare. Yeah, totally, completely. And so, like, with all the things you have with EDS and POTS and and chronic fatigue, like, like if you could, not that I want to make you like talk through the worst case scenario, but just so people understand the importance of staying home and the importance of social distancing, can you, as best as you know. Can you walk through how you think like COVID would affect your already disabled body? Yeah. So we, if I were to catch this, like I I would be looking at, uh, you know, fevers, of course, which, um, you know, my body has a hard time already fighting off bacteria and infection. Any type of infection with a central line is extremely scary. It can lead to sepsis. Um, very quickly is it's a line that goes directly to your heart, so this infection can get into the bloodstream. Yes, this is a virus, um, but 
while your body is distracted fighting off what's going on in your lungs and in your respiratory system, which is where this virus attacks primarily, it's distracted and protecting the rest of the body. So I would be very concerned about, you know, developing an infection during this time, how it would make my pot symptoms worse. Um, I also have ga um, gastroparesis where we're actually working on a diagnosis for that. Um, so I, I would be worried how it would also affect my motility. I already have a hard enough time eating food. I have a hard enough time with nausea and um, chronic constipation. I, I would be worried how it would Hi, affect hey. that. Hi. Hey, welcome <laughs> to the club. Hey, chronic constipation, what up? Oh, yeah, my favorite. I love having like two bowel movements a week. And then sometimes diarrhea. Yeah, I know. Oh my god, diarrhea for no reason. Other than just to piss you. I know. I've been there. I have been there. I feel you so hard. Yep. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it have to be in two extremes? Why do you have to be like chronically constipated for like your entire life, and then something stresses you out, and then you just start shooting poop everywhere for like a week? And I, it's it's so not fun. Why can't I just have a normal motility system? Can someone tell me? For real. Like, Please. I want to know what it feels like to have a regular, uninterrupted, full bowel movement. What is that? Who knows? People go to the bathroom and then feel empty? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've, we, we've, we've entered a whole new level of friendship right here. <laughs> but yes. It's, I, a, it's a certain level of friendship when you talk about poop. It really is. We've, 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 we've permeated that level of friendship for sure um so yeah if you were to so with your gastroparesis if you were to get that it would affect your motility anything else you want to say about what would happen to you if you contract the virus and why people should stay home for you um yeah if i get the virus so i also have asthma um every time i get sick it goes straight to my lungs already so um bronchial asthma cough everything like that. I already can't breathe. I'm already put on a bunch of steroid inhalers and everything when I get sick. And if I were to catch this thing that specifically attacks my lungs, I am very likely to not survive it and to require an extreme level of care. I would likely be in the ICU if I were to recover there would likely be significant lung damage, and my lungs are already shitty anyways. So stay home, everyone. Just stay the fuck home. Yep, damn right. Um, and again, I, I wanted you to be really clear about that. Thank you for the people listening who were like, I know we're all going stir crazy, but if you're thinking about breaking those social distancing rules, that's why you shouldn't. Felicia just told you why you shouldn't, so don't. Um, <laughs> Somebody in my family... Um, oh, no. I won't name names, but uh, you probably know that I'm talking about you, and I kind of hope you don't listen to this, just because I don't want to stir shit, but also stay the fuck home, thinks that they should be able to go and see their best friend, and I know that you miss your best friend right now, but my dad just recently dropped by paper towels for me, because I couldn't leave the house and get paper towels, and we were having a very hard time finding any in the brief moments that we could break our isolation and try to go to the store, and I couldn't hug him. So you can go another couple of months without seeing your best friend. I could not hug my dad when I saw him a couple weeks ago. Stay the fuck home. This is not a joke. My life is not a joke. Stay home. 
there's so much power there. That's why I was like, I don't want to say words. I wanted to just ring for a minute. Um, <laughs> uh, my next question was, and thank you so much for being so direct. People need to hear it that way. And they need to hear it from another disabled person telling them to not fucking go out and be silly. Um, also, wear masks. Yeah, wear a yeah, mask. And yeah. wear it around your mouth and nose. Yes. Stop wearing it around your neck. Stop wearing it around just your mouth. Stop wearing a bandana around your forehead like you think this is some kind of fucking party joke. I mean, you can still look cool with the bandana around your mouth and nose. You can. You can also wear one bandana around your forehead and then another around your mouth and nose. Look at that fashion awesomeness. Look at all those options you've given people. Just Um, be safe and stop going outside without wearing a mask or some kind of cloth facial covering. Please. I love the, I love the like directed piss off in this. I love it so much. (laughs) Um, Oh, and the people that, um, are like passing you on the sidewalk. I, I have to go on a walk in, in my wheelchair. I don't have enough mobility to take a walk around the block, just normal, like a normal person with two working legs. Um, and What's I that? can't pass you on the grass or in the street. So like move the fuck over, please. Six feet, move over. Thanks. <laughs> You're so pissed I love it. Thank you for being so direct. <laughs> it's really necessary, and uh, we haven't had such, such like, directed anger, which I think is really important for people to hear because they need to hear why people are scared. They need to hear why, particularly disabled people, are scared of this thing. And thank you for being so direct about that, um, Felicia. If you could give advice to any other disabled people going through this right now. And I know you're new to the disability and disabled kind of language, but if you could tell someone else with chronic illnesses or disabilities and give them like some pieces of advice right now, what would you tell them? You're not alone. There is a huge community of people just like you out there. Take a look. There are so many people with your conditions, with similar experiences to you. Hit to social media find people that are like you and reach out. You are not alone and there is no reason for you to be isolated during this time. Unless you want to be, in which case, enjoy your isolation. Um, Because I've talked to a lot of disabled people who are like, I just want to be alone. It's like, okay, good, all right. If that makes you happy and that's what you need to do, I support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's, there's an important balance there. Like recognize when you need to be in communication with other people and have that support network there for you when you need it. But also, if you're an introvert like me and have a hard time responding to people's DMs and have a hard time reaching out when you need help, it's okay to be alone. But just know that there are people out there if you need people around you and if you want to have a support system, it's it's out there. Totally it is. And... We, I, this podcast is one of the ways that you can be supported. So I'm going to take a quick non-ad break to say, if you want to come out of quarantine and chill with me and talk about all these things, I'm recording them until the end of time because the pandemic is never ending. So if you want to come out of an episode of quarantine and chill, I'm here for you. Um, send me an email. Wow. Yeah. So direct. Right? So direct. Um, 
send me an email to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and we'll go from there. And that's the only ad that I'm doing for this episode. So cool. Um, and I'm doing it within the interview right now. So, <laughs> Felicia, if you could then flip the script a little bit and give advice to any non-disabled or non-chronically ill people who've no, who maybe never have experienced social isolation and social distancing like we have, and if you could say something in a measured response to them that made them either understand things differently or gave them ways to cope, what would you say? So, you think you don't know any disabled person out there. Okay, look at your parents. Look at your grandparents. I'm sure you've met somebody who's in a wheelchair. I'm sure you've met somebody with some kind of medical device. Even if, you know, you've only met someone who's like only ever broken their arm or maybe you broke your arm yourself. You know what it was like to be in that position of limited ability and you were for a short time disabled. Now, remember that there are other people out there that have also broken their arms, that live with pain that feels like a broken arm for their entire life. They don't get a break from that. They don't get to take that cast off in six weeks. They don't get to walk down the street once their leg heals. They don't get to have that. They also, because their body is so distracted fighting these illnesses within themselves, have a hard time fighting out, uh, fighting off outside colds such as COVID-19. So even though this might be just a flu for you and you think you're going to be fine to leave the house, look at your elderly grandparents, look at your parents, look at your siblings, think, do I want to kill them? And then stay the fuck home. So direct. But thank you for that. Again, your directness is... is weirdly comforting and refreshing for me um so thank you uh <laughs> um and my last two questions for you and i kind of asked you this already but i'll ask it again how has the pandemic affected your relationships with productivity and as and with play as a disabled person oh my god um so for productivity um i've been struggling a lot well before COVID with like accepting the fact that, you know, there, I can't do as much as I used to be able to do. And, you know, the society is set up in a way that we have working productive hours and you're supposed to be doing something between the hours of eight and five. And prior to working part-time, I was working in that full-time schedule of eight to five. So having to make that switch to be like, it's okay to not do things during this time, it's okay to rest, has been really difficult. And do you the have pandemic, like resting guilt? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely feel like I should be, you know, doing something else during like daytime hours if I'm just like watching TV or like taking time to just listen to my body. It's so hard to slow down when all of the messages that you're getting around you is just go, go, go. Yeah. Um, pandemic life has definitely made me approach that even more directly. And especially when I was not working for a month, you know, I suddenly had the permission to not work during those hours. Like I didn't have to worry about, you know, missing out on my shift, having to call out. Like I had the permission to do whatever I wanted to do during this time period. 
but I still felt like I had to do something writing reading doing doing whatever productive thing that wasn't just laying in bed and wishing this would end is there a part of you that enjoys laying in bed and wishing this would end is there a part of you that's like oh yes good bed Yes, definitely. Um, especially when all of my body hurts and I can't move a muscle without being incredibly tired. I, I definitely do enjoy my long mornings in bed. And I need to give myself space to experience that. It's it's a very crucial part to my existence is being okay with that time off. Yeah, and I th- but I think it's important you mention that because... You know, some some disabled people might be listening to this and, and might be feeling the same way. They might also be feeling like they didn't know how to articulate those feelings, and you just did, so thank you. And then I think a lot of people need to recognize that even though you're disabled and you may not have a quote-unquote regular job, you, we still have feelings of guilt and, and productivity and wanting to feel... Well, like we've contributed and when we can't do that it does still it feels weird for us too. Mhm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about when when you as any normal person um non-disabled body listening to this podcast think about like when you get sick or catch a cold and you have to call out of work and you might be, you know, down with the flu for a week and how guilty you feel calling out of work and missing your shifts and knowing that you're putting extra work on your coworkers by not being there. I mean, just think about the guilt that you feel whenever you have to call out of work for any reason and any health-related reason and how long you wait with, you know, really bad symptoms to call out of work because you just can't think of missing those hours or not making that money or putting extra burden on other people that you work with. I mean, it's it's a real experience. Gimp guilt is real, y'all. Gimp guilt. That's, I'm all about alliteration, and so I made that up just right now. <laughs> stand by it, which is ironic because I don't stand, but yeah, I agree with you. That guilt is very real, and I think we need to, in all the stuff around the pandemic, we need to talk about that more. And we need to talk about how disabled people process feelings of wanting to be productive but not being able to oh my god totally and i hope that this you know makes it a a little bit easier for some people to be able to call out of work when when they feel sick because a a lot of people because of that guilt and and the need to continue to provide to society and in some economic fashion it's there and it makes a lot of people continue to work with a fever, with a cough, with really bad cold symptoms when you are definitely contagious. And that makes society very dangerous for people like you and me to be able to function and go out and be a part of life with so many sick people around. I hope that this makes people realize that they do need to stay home to protect other people when they're not feeling well. I really hope it does too. I mean, I just, I just think we need to look at look at work and productivity in a whole different way. And I hope that COVID has forced us to do that or we'll start to force those conversations in ways that prioritize disabled bodies first. I mean, it probably won't, but <laughs> my hope is that it will... <laughs> I can be optimistic, but I, I also have to recognize that history has a 
pattern of repeating itself. Oh, yeah. And we have a really hard time learning from our previous lessons and, you know, repeating World War again and, you know, seeing violence and war and the ways that we just cannot learn of the way that we've treated ourselves and we've treated other people throughout history. It has a way of forgetting itself. And we need we need to use this time to remember that all of us have a opportunity to not kill each other right now. <laughs> so yes. let's let's be aware of that. Um my last question for you, Felicia, is how has the pandemic impacted your views on sex, touch and intimacy as a disabled person? So it's really hard for me to separate how the pandemic has affected me and how my port has affected me because both happened at exactly the same moment. Um, I've been really struggling since port placement with um, body image and like um, how, how I feel about myself. And like I do feel really sexy with my port and, and I do feel really confident in that. But there's a difference between like feeling confident in myself and feeling confident with how other people view me. And I know that my partner has some medical trauma and has a hard time looking at certain medical devices. And this was a concern going into this. And so I've needed a ton of reassurance from him that I'm still hot and sexy and attractive and somebody that he wants to have sex with. That's been a huge theme for the last couple of months. And how is the, how has the, like, and how have you coped with all that? Um, I, I was very, very anxious about this going into surgery. Um, and then for like a, a month after surgery, I, I was still really anxious about it. Um, more recently, it's it's definitely been easier to accept, especially, you know, the more times we've had sex while I've been accessed and the love and attention that he's given to my ports. And, like, he also helps me cover it up for showering and helps me shower and everything. So that has been helpful in, in seeing the love and attention that he gives to it and how he still appreciates that part of my body. It gets easier but learning to love a new part of your body is always a hard thing to learn. I'm going to make a shitty pun here, but you could be learning to love a new part of your body. <laughs> good one. Never said it was a good pun. Just said it was there. Um, I think it's good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing today. I had such a, a fun time listening to you, and, and I, I feel really honored that you have used this platform to kind of come out more publicly as being disabled. Thank you so much. Um, this is great. Thank you for having me. Anytime. And how do how can the people that are listening and they want to follow your journey on Instagram, how do they do that? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at for the girl. Nope, that's not my handle. Let's try that again. I know you're not going to edit that out. Ignore that, everybody. Um, for the period girl who waited. Amazing. I will make sure that's in the show notes of this episode. So if you want to follow Felicia, you can do that. This was so much fun. And this is like episode who knows of Quarantine and Jill. Um, it was great. And thank you so much for coming on today.
I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. It was really, really important to hear you had to say. And I'm so glad we got to do this. Well, I'm sure we'll do it again. I would love to. Maybe I'll be back on your podcast again talking more about sex. I would love that. We'll find, I'll find a way to bring you back. I, I'm the boss. I'll find a way to bring you back. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andrew. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. That was episode 13 of Quarantine and Chill, and I love sitting down with Felicia. And I gotta say, Denver, stay the fuck home. Don't go out, people in Denver. Friends of mine in Denver, you know who you are. Don't go out. It's not safe, friends. Don't do it. Um, But I really, really love having these conversations, and I love having Quarantine and Chill, where we get to talk with each other as disabled people about our fears and our realities living through this pandemic. If you want to be a part of Quarantine and Chill, you can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com using the subject line Quarantine and Chill and we'll get you booked in. You'll tell me a little bit about yourself, tell me a little bit about your disability, and tell me why you think you'd be a good fit for Quarantine and Chill. Um, thanks so much for listening. I'm here for you. My DMs are open if you want to chat at It's Andrew Gerza on Twitter and Instagram. Tell me your disability and pandemic story. I'm here to listen to you. Thanks, friends. Bye. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020